All right, everybody, good morning. We're going to go ahead and get started. Good to see you. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. If you would, let's find our way to our seats, and if you can stand with us as we begin. I hope we've approached this past week with... What, it, what the intent was for this week is to approach it with gratitude and thankfulness and all of these things because we have much to be thankful for. This morning, I'm thankful to be with the body of Christ, that we get to meet together and worship, and also we get to close out Hebrews today. This is our last Sunday in Hebrews. Chris is going to come and just bring a, um, just a, an overview and a recap. And so, so let's, um, I, I hope that that will just bring to mind this year of what the Lord has taught us and what he's done through our study of this book together. So let's stand together. Let's, gonna, let's read from Psalm 36 as our call to worship. Psalm 36, verses 5 through 9. These are comforting words from Scripture. These words call us to come to the Lord, to drink and to feast upon his riches and his goodness today. It says this starting in verse 5. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast, you save, O Lord. Say this with me. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of his wings. If you're in need of refuge today, let's run to our Father. Our good Father who delights in giving good gifts to his children. Who delights to show himself and his goodness and his mercy and his steadfast love to us. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Are you empty? Come and drink these living waters. Tired and broken, peace unspoken. Rest beside these living waters. Christ is calling. Find refreshing at the cross of living waters. Lay your life down, all the old gone. Rise up in these living waters. There's a river that flows with mercy and love, bringing joy to the city of our God. There our hope is secure 
are free. Thank you, Lord. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the Church, let's continue this morning with our catechism question. And it touches on what we just sang, that the law could never save us. This is the question today. It says, since no one can keep the law, what is its purpose? And say this with me. That we may know the holy nature and will of God and the sinful nature and disobedience of our hearts and thus our need of a savior the law also teaches and exhorts us to live a life worthy of our savior let me read romans 3 over us today verses 20 through 26 it reinforces what we just said but it also gives us hope in the person of jesus verse 20 says for by works of the law no human being will ever be just will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin but now the righteousness of god has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it the righteousness of god through faith in jesus christ for all who believe for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. There's just a rich language in this passage that we are justified by his grace as a gift that God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. In his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. All things that we should say hallelujah, yes, and amen to. But all these things are rooted in the person of Christ, the person of Jesus. So would you pray with me? And let's continue.
Jesus, we look at passages like this. Lord, I pray that these would be more than just words on a page to us, but that this would be our very life. Lord, that you have come and to seek and save that which was lost. As we recognize our sinfulness and how we have fallen short of the glory of God and that we are hopeless within ourselves. But that Jesus, as you have came to earth, as we're fixing to celebrate over these next few weeks, that you come to earth to be one of us, to live the life that we've lived and to die the death that we will die. Lord, I pray that over these next few weeks, Lord, that you would further and increase our love for who you are, Jesus, and what you've done. Sings together with me. Die. 
for my waking breath, for my daily bread. I depend on you. I depend on you for the sun to rise, for my sleep at night. I depend on you, I depend on you, you're the way, the truth and the life, you're the way that never runs dry, I'm the bridge and you are the vine, draw me close and teach me to abide. I'm following I depend on you I depend on you Yes, I depend on you For the victories Still in front of me Yes, I depend on you Bye. Oh. 
the Spirit leads, Lord, we want to follow. Lord, I pray that every person in this room, Lord, increase our ability to hear from you. Lord, give us sensitive hearts and sensitive spirits to who you are. Lord, thank you that in, Lord, as we look at the many times at the hardness and the callousness of our hearts that you can take away those things in an instant. So I pray for us today, Lord, that you would stir up within us just a deep love for pursuing you, knowing you, worshiping you, praying to you, reading about you, being with other believers and being with you together, all of these things. So Lord, we together want to ask, Lord, we want to ask that you would cultivate those things in increasing measure in our hearts. Lord, and that we would be people useful for your kingdom, Lord, and also people who our life's goal and ambition is to know you. We love you. Thank you for the gift of your presence, the gift of your word. As we hear your word out of Hebrews today, I pray that you would convict our hearts. Lord, that you would also remind us this morning of what you've done this year through this wonderful book in Hebrews. Lord, maybe some of the things that you have spoken for us to do and we have not followed through, Lord, I pray this morning that you would remind us of those things, that we might be obedient and follow through. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning for the children, it is, is it ages 7 through 10 this morning? Ages 7 through 10 believe and be dismissed.
Good morning. Please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, in, many, in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed the heir over all things, through whom he made the world. He is the radiance of, the glory, of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Father, I pray that as I go over the book of Hebrews one last time, that you would remind us of the monumental task you've done in your son. And the monumental task you have done through our sanctification. Let us remember the moments where you worked on our hearts as I go through these verses. In the moments you brought us joy through our sadness, in the moments you helped us rest, in your name I pray, amen. So long ago, specifically this Sunday one year ago, God spoke through a prophet or a man whose name is Kevin, and Kevin preached these exact same verses. It was a fill-in sermon because Zach was out, and he chose, Spirit-led, this verse. Zach asked me to do an overview of the book of Hebrews, and I don't know what core text summarizes the book of Hebrews better than the first three verses. The book of Hebrews is written to a church or multiple churches. We don't know the exact time period. We know it was later in the New Testament possibly one of the later books written. We don't know who the church was. The only reference is the name Timothy, and it could be Paul's Timothy, or it could just be a guy named Timothy. However, while there is not much historical context in the book of Hebrews, maybe the last few verses, I don't think that if the author was to write this book again today, he would change much than verse maybe chapter 13. It is a timeless classic that tells us the summation of the Old Testament, and that is this, Jesus is greater. I don't know who the writer was, but I can tell you a little bit about him. I teach social studies, and that is basically nonfiction writing. That's how most of their tests are. So I teach writing as well. And I can always tell a student's understanding, usually from the first few words they write. So, for example, their last writing prompt was, how did Reconstruction change African Americans socially and politically? And half of my students, literally half of them, wrote this as their first sentence. Reconstruction changed African Americans' lives socially and politically in many ways. How did Westward Expansion economically changed the United States. What do you think it was? Westward expansion changed the United States economically in many ways. I want to read the first verse to you. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, 
I propose to you today that the writer of Hebrews is a very intelligent eighth grader. (laughs) Further proof of this, he says in chapter two, it is written somewhere. I had a student four or five years ago. I'm going to say Kendrick. I think that was his name. Um, He loved history. And here's how I can tell. He spoke very little. But when we would give a writing prompt, most students, a good student would get a page to a page and a half in an hour time period. Kendrick wrote six to seven. So he wrote what we did in college in eighth grade. And he used the same format. He just copied the, client, the, the question and wrote in many ways at the end. And then he would take a text, quote one line of that text, and explain it for the rest of the paragraph. He would take another text, quote one line of it, and explain it for the rest of the paragraph. And Kendrick, all the time, whenever I said, okay, time's up, he would say, dang, I wasn't done, which the author of Hebrews says, I've written to you briefly in 13 chapters. And he says, time would fail me to explain more. So I can tell you that the person who wrote Hebrews dearly loves the Old Testament. And he has the exact same format that Kendrick had. He writes a very strong claim, and the rest of what he writes explains that claim. That God spoke through his son, that his son is the heir of all things, that his son is his exact nature, and that his son sat down after he purified us of our sins. He dearly loves the Old Testament, specifically the first five books of the Bible. I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. This is the application of the sermon. Or I'm not even going to say sermon. This is the application of the lesson. Since he loves the law so much, I want to give you the application through what I think the writer of Genesis is trying to say, not only for the book of Genesis but the law, as well as all of Scripture. In chapter 1, verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let him rule over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all of the earth, and all all the creeping things that creeps on the earth. God made us in his image. People debate, what is that image? Is it that we can love like God? Is it that we're creative like God? All of those things may be true, but according to this text, the image of God is that we rule over his creation. We see in the first 25 verses, he rules over creation because he created it, but he gives it to us and says, you rule over it. So the first application for believers who read the Bible is that we reign over creation. Not as a king that sits on a throne and commands, but we reign the way Jesus did by washing the feet of his disciples. By bearing a cross, figuratively and literally. So that's the first application, that we reign over creation. And the second one is, he gives us creation and he says, partake of this creation, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, so reign over it, but rest in the fact that I have given you this creation. In chapter 2, we see that God rested on the seventh day. God had this amazing work For six days, Sunday through Friday, and he rested on the seventh day, Saturday. A lot of people take this to say, this is why we should be off on Saturday. Or Christians say, this is why we should be off on Sunday. I like that. But the point of that is, 
that God is teaching us to rest. And one day, we will no longer have a six-day work week and a one day of rest. All of those will come together, and we will rest forever, and we will work and reign forever. That's why God told us to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue the earth. That's why God said, eat from every tree in the garden and rest. So as I read through Hebrews, I want you to keep those two things in mind. How do I reign? How do I rest? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Oh, let's go to this. This is my equation for the book of Hebrews. I know this isn't a complete equation. I have two math professors that are in this uh, congregation. Go, go back. Jesus is greater than. There needs no other side of that equation. I'm going, the author of Hebrews does write the equation out for us, but Jesus is greater than. So God, after he spoke long ago, through the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his son. Long ago, but in these last days. Through the prophets, through men, but now he has spoken through his son. And he spoke in many ways, but now he speaks only through his son. There is something better about Jesus speaking. A lot of people will take this verse to say, that's why the New Testament, the red letters are better than the Old Testament. But I don't think they understand the words of Jesus. Most of the time when Jesus speaks, his goal is to explain the Old Testament. Yes, he's greater than all of Scripture because he wrote it. But he submits to the Word of God so much so that he even quotes Scripture in his dying day. One example is in Genesis, um, John chapter 3. When he's talking to Nicodemus, he says, Are you not a teacher of the law? As in, don't you already know these things about the suffering of Christ? And then he says, who will go up and who will descend? He quotes Deuteronomy 30, which is actually quoted by Proverbs 30. So I don't know which one he quoted. He quoted one of them. And then he quotes Numbers and he says, the son of man must be lifted up as the serpent. And then when he says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He's alluding to Isaac, the promised child of Abraham. That was in three verses. Jesus quoted three Old Testament passages. So his interpretation of the Old Testament is because God loved the world so much, he gave his son so that we can have eternal life. When he's on the road to Emmaus and he meets the people who don't recognize him, he reveals the suffering of Christ in all Scripture. In his dying breath, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he quotes Psalms 22, which is a psalm about David's suffering and the redemption of Israel. So now that we know that Jesus has come and he has spoken to us, we can understand what he means in the Old Testament. When you read Psalms 22, that psalm written by David was not written about David. That psalm when it was written down, God had me and you on his mind when it said, to those who are not born yet, they will declare that he has done it. When you read Psalms 23, you can read it in light of Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for my sheep. 
So the Lord is your shepherd and you shall not want because Jesus laid down his life for you. I can walk through the valley of death because not only is God with me, but he walked through the valley for me. In the same way as we want to have a good pastor to preach, we have Jesus, the good shepherd, that explains the Bible to us. So in these last days, he has spoken through his son. Next verse. Should be up on the board. Whom he appointed the heir over all things, and through whom he made the world. Just as God appoints us heir over creation, over the garden, and over new creation one day, Jesus is heir of all things, and we care for the world as they kept the garden, but he created the world. So not only does God teach us through his son, but he cares for us through his son. So child, rest. And wake up in the morning and rule as Jesus does. Verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Jesus is the light to the Father. The same Understanding of we would not know the sun was there if the sun did not give rays of light. And we can see the sun for what it really is because of its light. The exact representation is the image of a king imprinting a wax seal. You would not know who the letter was from unless you saw the seal, which is the exact imprint. That's who Jesus is. And then he says, upholds all things by the word of his power. Child, rest. Knowing that Jesus only has to say it and it is done. Jesus is more powerful than we can ever imagine. You exist because Jesus thinks about you. And if he was to stop thinking about you, you wouldn't vaporize. You would have never existed. But this is the same God that said, let the children come to me. So rest and rule like Jesus rules. And when he made purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Sinners hear these words. When and only when he made purifications for sins did he sit down next to the majesty on high. This is the imagery of the high priest going into the most holy of holies which was a tabernacle and later a temple. And they were petrified to go in there because if there was one sin on their heart, they would be struck dead and have to be pulled out by a rope. And that was just a picture of the dwelling place of God. Jesus walks into the heavens, blameless and confident, and sits down next to his father. where he prays for you forever. So rest, child. And as Jesus intercedes for us forever, let us intercede for each other. He then takes these three verses and expounds upon them for the rest of the book. Go to the next slide. 
The outline of the book is five sections, and this, they, they do intermingle. This is just a kind of a suggestion. This is from the Bible Project. If we um, have time, watch that video. If not, go home and watch the Bible Project Hebrews Overview. Starts off with Jesus being greater than the angels in the law, moves to Moses in the promised land, then talks about the priests, specifically one named Melchizedek, and then the covenant of those priests and the sacrifice, and then he ends. The first four sections are the law, and then the faithful witnesses could be the whole Old Testament, and that's his invitation for us to be faithful witnesses. So the first section is angels in the law, and it is written there in contrast, next slide please, to the fact that he has spoken through his son. Angels, the word for angel means messenger. And in Deuteronomy 33, before Moses dies, he says a, uh, a poem, and he says, a myriad of angels handed me the law. Now, he could be talking hyperbolically. Jews tend to do that when they give poetry. Um, we know from uh, Exodus that God spoke the law into existence, but we don't know how it got there. So there's this distance that God handed it to angels to give to Moses because God was distant in the book of Exodus to the people of Israel. That's the main theme. Angels themselves are terrifying creatures. They're beautiful beyond all comprehension. If an angel was to appear in this room, we would worship the angel because we would think it's Jesus. And John did that in the book of Revelation. After he saw the entire end of the world, he still worshiped the angel. And the angel's like, stop worshiping me. Angels probably introduced themselves by do not be afraid because people are terrified. And there's a story in 2 Kings where I think King Hezekiah prays that God would deliver him from this army, the Assyrians. And an angel comes and kills 170,000 men, 180,000 men, give or take 10,000. And then the next verse, no explanation, an angel can do that. The reason they are that way is because of the message that they carry. How much more precious is our message? The message of Jesus. The reason I say all that is to say that Jesus is greater than the angels. So let's read verse 4. Having become much better than angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they... A name could probably be understood as title. His name is Jesus. But he has a greater title. For of which of the angels did he say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. This, these verses are from Psalms and 2 Samuel chapter 7. His name that is above every name is not the name Jesus. It's the name Son of God. To to. Explain this in southern terms. God is saying, that's my boy. Look at what he has done, the Son of God. He is above every name that is to be named. And in this section, he gives us a warning. Chapter 2, verse 1. Actually, let's, let's go back. I want to go over these slides to show the connection. The next section... Um, is Moses in the promised land. And that is con contrasted when he says heir of all who made the world. Moses is the heir of Israel. He's the one that rules over Israel. And who made the world, you can see that's connection to the promised land. So not only do the Jews get the land, we get the whole world. 
Next is radiance in nature and upholding all things. This doesn't seem like it connects, but if you think about a priest's job, their job is to be a representation of the people to God and also a representative of who God is and their holiness. Um, And upholding all things, this is when it says that God swore by himself. He's upholding the covenant by his word. Not only does he uphold the covenant, he upholds the universe. And then lastly, purifications for sins and sat down. You can see how that is connected to the sacrifice in the covenant. So purification of sins is sacrifice, and the covenant is the finalization of that sacrifice. That's him sitting down. Okay, now let's go to the warning in chapter 2, verse 1. Since Jesus is greater than angels, the author of Hebrews says, For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, that we do not drift away from it. I have every confidence that the men in this room, if asked, under threat of persecution and death, do you believe in Jesus? That we would, with a smile on our face, say our last words of, I love Jesus. But I have every confidence that on the way home, we will drift away unless God himself intervenes. Because I know myself. To live as Christ is way harder than to die as gain. So let us pay closer attention to what we have heard. That is the gospel. That is the book of Hebrews. That is the entire Bible. For the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. How will we escape if we neglect such great a salvation? From what I understand of this, the Jews who died in the wilderness will receive eternal punishment, and it will be unbearable. But to the Americans who hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and deny it, that punishment will be greater. So the application is pay attention to the gospel. The next section of Moses and the land is actually back up two slides one more the fact that God has spoken to through to us through his son is greater than angels in the law so therefore the equation is Jesus is greater than the angels in the law moving on to Moses and the promised land this is an explanation of Moses leading them into the land and promising them the land and if you've read the law, you realize they don't get it, literally, the land. He gives us a warning because Jesus is greater than the promised land. In chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of us entering his rest, rest meaning the promised land, and any one of you may seem to come short of it. For indeed we have the good news preached to us, just as they also, the law. So he c- compares the Torah, the law, the instruction, with the good news, the gospel. Which he understands, as the Torah is the good news, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because they did not unite it by faith in those who heard So not only let us pay attention to Jesus, but let us believe in Jesus. 
In this section, he gives us a warning, but also a connection to the next section, that is the priest and Melchizedek. So in chapter 4, verse 14 and 16, he's referencing Joshua, who is the leader of Israel after Moses. And then he connects it to the high priest. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, and there's the title, the name above all names, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Hold fast, he mentions again in 10. It's a different word, but it's the same concept. For we have a high priest who cannot, who can, cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. We do not need to be afraid when we come before the Father anymore. So that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in a time of need. Then he goes on to explain this fact that the heir of the world, heir of all and who made the world, is greater than the heir of Israel, Moses, in the promised land itself. The promised land, modern day Palestine and Israel, is a picture of something so much greater so Jesus is greater than Moses in the land. Next section, he moves on to the priest and Melchizedek. And in this section, he talks about this one figure from the Old Testament named Melchizedek, who has just a few verses about him. But he is the priest that Abram swears allegiance to and the priest that rejoices with him. He's also a king. He's the king of righteousness, the king over Salem, modern-day Jerusalem, in chapter 6, verse 1 through 6, this is the response to since Jesus is greater than the priest in Melchizedek. He says, Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. That is our application. Now that we know that Jesus is the better high priest, let us press on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from the dead, of works towards faith in God, Instructions about washings or laying on hands and resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. And we will do so if God permits. So he's saying maturity doesn't drop these basic things. And he says the reason we need to mature is because of this frightening fact. Verse 4. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God... And the powers of the age to come. These people who he's speaking of have only tasted, but not have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, the author of Hebrews says that Jesus tasted death. And that is absolutely true. But Jesus only tasted death for a weekend. It did not consume him. It, did not, it does not have control over him. In the same way... I served at a church camp for five years. So many kids tasted Jesus at the church camp. But then the weekend happened for them. Those who think that they are believers have eternal judgment coming. Those who have been part of the church and who have walked away have eternal judgment coming. So verse 6 says, And then have fallen away those who drifted away. It is impossible for them 
again to repentance, to renew them again to repentance, since they have crucified themselves to the Son of God and put him to open shame. I'm just going to let that sit. But what I do want to say is that since this, this section is connected to the fact that Jesus is the, our representation to God and the exact representation of God, and Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power, the same God that fed the hungry and healed the sick and died for our sins is the same God that wants to tell you this. Do not fear these verses if you are in Jesus Christ. But if you have fallen away, I have no other explanation than to greatly tremble before these verses. God upholds all things through Jesus. And Jesus holds our salvation. So on the one hand, if you've walked away, if you walked away, it's impossible to find repentance again. But on the other hand, if you're in Jesus, according to Jesus, it's impossible to walk away. So let us rest. And let us reign by pressing on to maturity. So this shows that Jesus is greater. The fact that he is the radiance of God's nature and the exact representation, and he upholds all things. He's greater than the priest and Melchizedek. Moving on to the next section, the sacrifice and covenant. This is very closely tied with the priest and Melchizedek. But let's open up to chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. The point of this section is that Jesus made one sacrifice not for himself, because he need not do that. But he made one sacrifice for all and forever. The priest would make sacrifice yearly on the Day of Atonement. They would first have to make a sacrifice for themselves because of their sins. And then after the Day of Atonement, they made regular sacrifices for the people of Israel. Jesus made one sacrifice because he was the pure and spotless lamb. So in chapter 10, verse 19, our instruction is this. Therefore, you'll see a lot of therefores in this book. Brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. We don't need to purify ourselves. We have the blood of Jesus that purified us. And we can say, Father, when we pray, and we are physically on earth, but spiritually at the throne room of God. So let us enter there endlessly by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh so his blood and his flesh and since we have a great high priest over the house of God these are the three things he tells us to do let us draw near with sincere hearts with full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience of our bodies washed with pure water in other words, let us continually repent of our sins, but let us not be ashamed of them because Jesus took that shame. Let us walk with confidence knowing that we need do nothing else other than repent. Let us hold fast to our confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And he who promised is the one who upholds all things by the word of his power. 
To ask yourself, can I lose my salvation, is to ask yourself, can Jesus lie? That does not mean that people who walk away from the faith are non-believers. What that means is, is that Jesus, when he says something, it's going to become true. So let us hold fast to our confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And the last one, let us consider how to stimulate one another with love and good works. The point of being a believer is not just your own sanctification, it's the sanctification for others. I need you to help me be sanctified. And you need everyone in this church to help you be sanctified. So let us figure out how to stimulate one another or stir one another up in good deeds not forsaking the assembly together as, it, as is a habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Jesus is coming soon. And the way Jesus wants to reign over the earth for now is to stir one another up in righteousness. How fitting that this is verse to go over today as in just a few months we are going to meet with other fellow believers. Notice that he says, not forsaking the assembly in a church or in a particular building. He says, meet together, period. Actually, it's a comma. But as in, that's you meet together. This has nothing to do with the building itself. It has nothing to even do with the denomination. If you are a believer in Christ, you meet with those people so that you can stir one another up because Jesus is coming soon. All the more as the day draws near. I'm going to change up the equation a little bit on this one. Um, Purification of sins and him sitting down. The fact that he goes into the holiest of holy places, heaven itself, and sits next to God the Father and prays for us continually after he made the sacrifice on the cross is better than the old sacrifices and covenant. And I put the word old there because the next one, Jesus, is greater than the old sacrifices and covenants because the blood of Jesus is equal to the sacrifice and covenant for our redemption. So because the blood of Jesus equals the sacrifice and the covenant, we can have full assurance to walk to the throne of God in our time of need. We can have full assurance to draw near, and we can have full assurance that we have the capability through the power of the Holy Spirit to sanctify one another. So he's done so to speak, with the law, the first five books of the Bible. As you can see, priest, Moses, sacrifice, covenant, land, and even angels handing the law itself are all focused on the first five books. Then he steps back and just does an overview of the entire Old Testament in the faithful witnesses sections, chapter 13 through, uh, 11 through 13, the finishing of the book. So it starts off with the Old Testament faithful It leads up to Jesus in chapter 12, and then it's an invitation for us to be the modern, end times faithful. So it starts with people like, um, I think, Abel, then goes to Moses and Abraham and um, Rahab, and then just starts mentioning random people of the Old Testament, possibly people in the Old Testament, maybe some prophets. And then people maybe in his own time. We don't really know specifically. But it leads up to chapter 12, verse 1. 
Therefore, since we have such great a cloud of witnesses, he doesn't really specify, probably talking about the previous witnesses of the Old Testament, but could also be talking about the witnesses around him right now. Surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus reigned on this earth by, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That's how we're called to take care of God's creation, to lay down our life for it, if need be. But Jesus rested because he sat down by the right hand of the throne of God. So read these verses and rest. Child, rest knowing that God has Jesus sitting next to him. And Jesus is praying for you continually. And there has only been one time in all of created history where God denies Jesus a prayer. Where Jesus says, take this cup from me. But every other time Jesus has asked for something, God says yes and amen. So everything Jesus prays for you is yes and amen. There has not been an instant in your life that Jesus did not want to happen. He created you, or the Father created you. I don't, one of them. I think the Father told Jesus to do it. Jesus created us before the foundation of the world. And every sin that you have committed was because he loves you. Every triumph in your life was because he loves you. And you're sitting here today listening to this sermon because he loves you. He did not make a mistake in your life, even though you may think it's full of mistakes and tragedy. He's, you are here because he loves you. And God the Father loves you so much that he, before eternity began, said, I'm going to send my son to die for you. So in chapter 13, after we see what Jesus has done, he invites us in specific ways to be part of this new creation, to be the faithful chosen. And in verse 13 it says, let us love the, let the love of the brethren continue. This is not new stuff. When Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. All the author of Hebrews is doing is giving specific instructions on how to complete the Ten Commandments. So let us love our brethren. It's not on the board, but chapter 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. So love, neighbor, love your neighbor. Remember the prisoners as though the prison... As though in prison with them, those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves are also in the body. So pray for people in prison, or maybe go see them. The marriage bed is to be honored among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Be fruitful and multiply, and be faithful to one another, and stay up a little later if need be. Next, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. This is, the, this is in contrast, don't steal. Um, we're, supposed to, we're supposed to gain money, according to Paul, to give money. Being content with what you have, for he himself said, I will never desert you, nor I will forsake you. 
So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. These seem like small, insignificant, and mundane things. But let me tell you something. This is the application to what Jesus has done for us. Go love each other. That's not mundane. That's eternal. Those are huge things. And by our sinfulness and by the workings of the devil, do we not see them as such? Talk to your neighbors. Say hello to people. That seems small, but man, that is so big. Remember prisoners. I know that we don't do that well enough, but I think we should. Marriage is to be held in honor. That's, that's how God originally set the gospel to be moved throughout the earth, is by parents loving their children and declaring the word to them. Let us not love money because we should have such a greater love. And then he ends in verse 18, he says, pray for us. So pray for each other. For we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this that I may be restored to you sooner. Whoever this is, he loves these people and he wants to be with these people. We don't know if that ever happened, but we know it will happen soon when Jesus comes back. And he says, go in peace who brought you from the dead of the great shepherd, the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even the Lord Jesus Christ, equipped you to do every good thing, not mentioned necessarily in this book, but every good thing that's demanded in Scripture, working in us that it might be pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And this is the only historical context, but I want to read it because this is the end of the book. I urge you, brethren... Bear word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Take notice of our brother Timothy has been released, with whom he comes soon, that I will see you. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. These are normal, everyday activities of the church. Hey, Timothy's traveling. Greet him when you get there. The people from Italy say hello. He wants to be with these people. While this seems like a little postscript added on there, I don't think we should treat it as such because the response to what Jesus has done for us, him being our high priest, him being the one who upholds all things, him speaking to us, is that we love one another and we do the things written at the end of Hebrews. These are not mundane. These are glorious and eternal. I was going to uh, put a video up on the board, but I would encourage you as you go home to just look up whenever you want to study Hebrews again uh, from the Bible Project. I stole most of this stuff from it anyways. Um, But another thing that I would want to encourage you with is Hebrews has been pretty monumental in my life. Uh, Whenever I have a bad day at work, I just turn Hebrews on and just listen and just just meditate on the fact that God is in control. Um, And as I went through it, I just remember how many times God has brought me through tragedy and brought me into joy. So I would encourage you to go back through Hebrews this week or next week and just remember what God has done for you. Let's pray. Father, we know that you speak through your Son. And we know that your Son is 
the ruler of the world, and he upholds all things, and he's exactly like you. And he is seated next to you right now, praying that we would be made holy as he is holy. I have no other words than thank you. Amen. As we do every week, uh, it's a time uh, to come and to remember these truths that Chris uh, summarized for us and, and reminded us in Hebrews, um, and to remember our hope as well, to, to reflect on um, maybe the past few days, what's going on in our hearts right now, uh, but to, rem- to remember that Christ did come for us, he died for us have that hope. Uh, I'll be down front if anybody wants to pray. Um, you know, especially if you if you need to take Jesus in, uh, come pray with me. Um, and as we gather, we remember that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying this is this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes table is open
So as we continue, let's do this. And Zach did this last week. And I want to continue this um, for our missions moments. As we look forward into this next season of our church, I want to pray for Alpine this morning. And just in the work that he has called not just them to do, but um, for us too as we join in that work with them. And so, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray uh, for them today. Lord, I thank you for our brothers and sisters at Alpine. Lord, thank you, Lord, what you have uh, put together over these past few months in a ways that we could not. Lord, I pray that you, uh, Lord, the mission that you have called them to Lord, I pray that you would encourage them today, strengthen them for the task you've given them. Lord, I pray for Alpine Christian School. Lord, for all of these, these kids that are there and many of whom are unchurched. They're, they're unchurched. Their family's unchurched. They don't know you. Lord, I pray that in this next season that we would see an abundant harvest. Lord, that, Lord, that children and their parents alike would come to faith. Lord, that... Lord, that we would have a part to play in that. Lord, I pray that your hand would shine forth, Lord, in our community, Lord, and that Alpine would be, Lord, a beacon of hope, Lord, that proclaims the, the truth, Lord, and that we would just see a mighty move of your spirit at that place. Lord, thank you again how... Lord, you have led our steps up to this point, and you are still leading us. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your mercy that you are, show, are showing forth to us. I pray that you would continue to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think we just have a few announcements this morning, one of which is next week, next Sunday. Um, Two things are happening next Sunday. One is that Advent starts. And so, uh, so we'll be in our first week of Advent, and we'll sing all the Advent songs and all these things that, um, that a lot of us look forward to. I hope all of us do. And so that, but also we have uh, the pastor at Alpine, John Willie, many of whom you know. He will be uh, starting our study in the book of Ruth over the next couple of weeks. So he will be preaching um, next week. So please be here for that. Um, and so, and just and let's welcome John and his family as they come uh, minister to us next week. The other thing is December 10th. So two Sundays from now is when we'll have another family meeting um, just in regard to um, the, just a couple of things for us to vote upon. Um, the main thing of which is just the, uh, sounds weird to say, but the disillusion of our entity and our body um, upon the, uh, upon the, the cell of, of our building. And so there are some things in the works right now. Be praying for that as we are in that process, and we will uh, make those things known to you guys as we have something more concrete. Um, but things are looking very encouraging. Like we just see the Lord putting all of these things into place. Um, and so, and also what we're going to ask is on the 10th that um, for every family in our church to be praying about um, if you are called to come with us um, to Alpine. And so if you are, we're just going to um, 
we're just going to ask that day that we would have, or, or before this doesn't have to be that day, but just an answer as you seek the Lord for you and your family. Um, Ronnie, what did you have right there? What's that? Emily's baby shower. Can you, can you announce that? So any other announcements that we have today? Bueller? Bueller? Nobody? Okay. <laughs> okay. Can we stand up as we dismiss? Kyle, if it's okay, I'm going to kind of get us to the key of F for the doxology. It's a better singing key than D. All right. So can we sing the doxology together as we dismiss? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Sing the Amen. Amen.